out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the drummer, Paul Fenton, who came from Huddersfield, but has worked with such people as T-Rex and also played in a band called Carmen, a progressive rock band with a flamenco focus and has been, you know, basically spent his life playing music. This is the interview um, which took place last year, 2020, for those who are kind of curious. Um, Yeah, so after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very important subject of the early formative years and um, how they can shape you. That moment, the spark of inspiration when you're very young, that can change your life forever. Anyway... Paul then takes over. Paul, it's over to you. I agree. I agree. Whether what, you decide what, apart from pressure from from your parents, you decide exactly what you would like to do. Although it has to be funded somehow, so you've got to find the best way of funding it. And and you know it's difficult to try and get young people to think like you know, like older people, you have to learn that stuff, basically, a lot of people, the hard way, of course. But I've, I, mean, I, I was lucky, you know, um, pretty much. Yeah, so you said your parents, they were obviously, you know, the war years. I mean, they would have gone through the First and the Second World War, wouldn't they, as well? Which, yeah. Which was quite amazing. And you were sort of, you were probably... Well, I was I was born I was born a year after the war was allegedly finished in Germany anyway. Yes, absolutely. And this was forty six. I was born. You were born, and this is probably the same year, if memory serves right, as David Bowie and Lemmy were probably born in the same year yeah, as you. Yeah, I think David Bowie. I'm not sure he was a little bit younger than me, but around we're, we're kind of contemporary. I knew David Bowie, of course, and uh, you know we did stuff together yeah absolutely so when because because i know with lemmy as well who i used to sort of love as well yes bowie was born in 1947 the 8th of january yeah so a year younger just a, yeah all six months just six months yeah but, six um, months. but yeah so you know with them they always would i was halfway th- halfway through uh, 46 <laughs> yeah i can see so if he was born in 47 at the beginning of the year he would have been six months he would have been still in nappies wouldn't he and lemmy it's a strange thought thinking of lemmy and nappies but anyway they were they were obviously um yes it was little richard i remember they'd always say oh Good grief. Wh- wh- why 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 did they get into music what was your sort of moment that you, you know because i'm i you know i have to say being in my mid-50s it was Obviously, you know, the, the, that age where you you watch Top of the Pops and suddenly you start going, oh, this is interesting. And your parents go, oh, who's this dreadful noise? And But you would have had a totally different sort of, you know, beginning, really, wouldn't you? Well, it, it, it was basically um, with my with my father, my mother and father lived in. Uh, in in a in quite they're, they're quite a a, Vic, a big Victorian house, so they were able to use one room for bands to rehearse in, and and he had a band called Sammy King and the Voltaires back in the 60s, and I used to listen to those guys when I came from school and so on, and I actually first I wanted to learn to play guitar first of all, but. That didn't last very long, uh, only because I broke it, not because I could pursue all of the patience to learn the chords. 
and and the, the drums were easy sorry easy to play and harder to break and you know so I, I finished up you know with my dad's encouragement I finished up um, you know getting a drum kit and one of his drummers a guy called Norman Emsley was a band leader and uh, and I went to I I started I playing side drum and learning learning um learning about about well basically one drum which was a side drum but learning how to learning how to march and play at the same time which kept you in pretty much uh you know good timing uh, if you didn't, then you'd be falling over each other. So the the timing of marching and the timing of playing had to be right. And it was his younger brother that was the lead drummer, which was very very good. And we ended up finish. Uh, we finished up. I was part of the band that that, that went to Blackpool that won the pipe and won the first place in the pipe and side drum um, music, basically. So. I, I was lucky. I got you know. I was I was with those guys when when they won the uh, the championship. Yes, I was See, very young. You you <laughs> I decided that drumming was maybe you know taking it a bit further. That drumming was was maybe you know I, I would have had a chance uh, with that. Yeah, uh, it was more fun. Yes, and did you at that stage? I mean, I mean, had you started sort of this? Sort of been interested in the jazz world or the blues world of, of kind yeah. Of... Well, all those influences were, uh, were around as I started getting a bit older into my into my mid teens. Um, you know, like near places, near cities, uh, or big towns were Huddersfield, and they were kind of jazz and, and and blues orientated. So the bands that I worked with over there were doing that kind of music, and uh, which really didn't attract that many people. But it, you know, it, the ones that the once it came, enjoyed it, and uh, and and then I went to I joined a jazz band which was the opposite direction, which was Wakefield. That was also very close, and there was a jazz band there that that I I worked with, and that that it, that felt large, you know, because there, were, there may have been ten or fifteen members in that band, and and that was great fun to work with, and we were playing kind of modern jazz. I I never really liked traditional jazz. But modern jazz was okay. Yes, I always remember the was it the Battle of the Battle of Bouley? Um There's some sort of famous kind of event that happened in the fifties where the traditional jazz people and 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 trad oh. jazz trad jazz fans kind of got into a fight. Trad, yeah, well, trad jazz it was you know was basically there was always a lead instrument, um, you know, like uh, like clarinet or, or something, and there were quite a few stars that well my dad's band they they were kind of uh, they they worked with the beatles loads and loads of different bands rolling stones everybody uh as support and uh, <laughs> and so they were quite good and I, I guess that was an influence i wanted you know i wanted to be as good as the drummers in my dad's band and and it took forever and i'm i stayed contact with everybody up up to them not being with us any longer r.i.p at certain people yes. and you know so I, I did stay in touch and and was lucky enough to uh you know to to turn professional as it were but i'm i'm here to answer questions Yes, absolutely. Because I, I did an interview. I mean, I've done, bizarrely, there was a lot of drummers. And there was a guy who was Hunt Sells, who was in the um, 
Iggy Pop Band, actually, he worked with David Bowie in the the sort of late 80s with Tin Machine. But, I mean, he was saying that he was quite a student, you know, so there were certain people that he would follow or he, he sort of learned from. I think there was a guy called Colin Bailey and a guy called Freddie uh, Gruber, who was a kind of a right. jazz drummer. And and so, you know, he, he sort of learned all these techniques. So he was a real student. Did you also have that sort of excitement, well, you know, interest? I, I, I did hear of it, but that only happened when I went to live in London. Phil Seaman, uh, who taught Ginger Baker, was at a, at a music shop in, in London that I, that I used to go to, and, you know, that they, they used to teach drums downstairs and, and all the other instruments were upstairs, but it, that, that that was going on a little. But I never, I never thought. Nobody told me, but I, 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 I never, I never thought there was that there was longevity in it, or longevity in longevity in, in, in playing jazz as much as it was. There was Ronnie Scotts going and so on, which I was aware of. But uh, I mean, maybe big jazz and blues players like you know big guys come from or big names came from america and and would get their fee and so on and, and that would be part of their tour would ronnie scott's and and so on uh which would you know which which was quite enjoyable but i didn't actually see for me i wanted to play rock and roll and 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 i was lucky enough to meet people that that um you know that that had that, that had the chance or did have eight records and 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 went into more the commercial side of drumming yes and there was um so i did an interview at the weekend with a guy called robin mayhew who was in a band called the presidents i do believe they started in about 56 to 65 and they became part of that uh, band called the in crowd he then went on to be the kind of sound engineer for David, yeah. kind of Bowie at that kind of the early 70s. But he was, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, he was just saying that it was kind of people like Lonnie Donegan. Um, Gosh, it? yeah. Well, I think I mean, everybody, you know, I mean, most, most young guys knew of those people. I would, it would have made, what made the difference was that they would either be on radio and then progress to television and Donegan was on television and, and he was into more, it was more skiffle and, and stuff that, that he was playing and, and you was aware of it as much as you didn't want to play it so much, you used to listen to it basically. Yes, well I'd imagine. And did you have a sort of moment, I know one of my, you know, the people who was a great inspiration and a gatekeeper I suppose was people like John Peel and I mean, he he was saying that you know it was kind of the, the the sort of moment that he heard Elvis and then obviously Little Richard. I mean, what was was there a particular band or an artist that you kind of went, okay, this this well, is kind of something else? Yeah, well, I, I think it used to be when I when I first you know started, I never actually bought many singles or albums. And and amongst some of the first were were would have been albums of uh, you know of Cream, and I, I couldn't believe uh, you know uh, Ginger Baker uh, was the drum with that band with Jack you know um, with Jack Bruce singing and, and and playing bass and and so on and Eric Clapton on lead guitar and I, I thought there were three people I, I was looking at three people making such a lot of noise and 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 quite well. And so that was one of my first rock and roll uh, influences. And I was living, in fact, I learned about Cream, uh, funny, funnily enough, when I was when I was in Germany. I was in I was in in Bad Kreuznach, 
got to you got to use a throaty thing to do, get yes. the right sound. Uh, but cross now to um, you know working for the uh, uh, American uh, company, which most guys did, went and worked. For, you know, the, it, you went where the work was, and, and obviously servicemen and American servicemen and so on. They always needed music, even though it, had, it went in a long time, six hours per night. I was playing two, three hour shows, and that's when talking to some of those guys, I learned about Cream. They were all buying, you know, Cream. Maybe I don't. I don't know whether they'd released in the UK or America the first or both at the same time, but the American uh, <clears throat> servicemen certainly knew um, GIs, certainly knew about Cream, and I thought, well, and they played me some of it because we became friends, and we played some of it. Uh, I played the same place for quite a long time, and uh, you know, and we we listened. I listened to some of it and and was quite impressed. But that's where that influence started in Germany when I came back to the UK. I think we were there for seven, eight, nine months, and when I came back to the UK, I, I you know I, I bought albums uh, all one at a time, basically, because I never made back in those days a great deal of money. Yes, it, it was it was enough to enough to buy clothes. You know, uh, keep your instrument running and and everything else. There was never much on top, but I was happy to be able to do that. Yeah, this is because my dad was in national service, but this wasn't national service you were doing, was it? No, no, no. I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, we were lucky that we never actually saw that kind. Well, at my age, we never actually saw that kind of thing. So we, you know, we. I mean, there were there were camps up and down the UK, uh, which I did many of. You know, the uh, the English uh, army and so on. More the army than the air force, and 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 the, and army in in uh, in America. Uh, sorry, in in Germany. And so we did. I did that for for many many years and and that w- that was a way of you know really consolidating on your on your plane uh um and, and timekeeping and so on but i didn't really learn i learned more uh i learned more how to play when it when it started moving up into the 70s the beginning of the 70s is when i had a chance to you know other other i was working in nightclubs and stuff especially in leeds when i came home and uh, you know that's where I met Jeff Christie, uh, who'd written Yellow River, that was number one all over Europe. Or you know, I, mean, I think he, God, some years ago he was, he, he had over, I don't know, uh, so many, you know, hundreds of uh, fifteen hundred. He had fifteen hundred albums or somewhere thereabouts. There was a lot of uh, gold singles, <laughs> and I had I had one presented to me on top of the pops. Nice, uh, you know, by names that we don't want to mention because that you know they weren't. That one of them wasn't a cool, you know, um, one of them wasn't a cool guy. No, uh, or it turned out to be not a cool guy, so I don't really mention his name. And and Tony Blackburn. So it was the other guy that Tony Blackburn used to go with. But Tony Blackburn, uh, you know, he, he pretended as you know. So I, I knew that. Joining, working with Jeff, and moving on to what he was doing certainly, it certainly helped me with my career. And I got to meet people, and and Jeff basically started me off. And I was only talking to him today, so we stayed mates after all those years, and still do stuff together. A odd little bit. God, fifty-five years ago. Yes. Well, actually, I did. Bizarrely, I did an interview with Keith 
West, sometimes known as Keith Hopkins, and um, he's just brought a book out. He's probably just a bit older than you, but it, um, yeah, he, he spoke a lot about that sort of scene, the nightclub scene in Leeds, which was obviously started, yeah. you know, which was kind of a huge part of his life, and also, you know, he, well, he, they were gambling. They were, I mean, basically, it was it was to entertain the people who were gambling. They would they would have a bar downstairs where there was live music, and I used to work with a girl called Barb, back a girl called Barbara Peters, who was quite a you know pleasant looking lady who was a great singer. And Jeff was in Jeff Christie was in that band before I joined Jeff. And upstairs, of course, was the gambling. But there were many clubs doing the same. Nightclubs were a very very big thing back in the early 70s, uh, before, you know, while that's when it was really fashionable. Yes, absolutely. But I just stayed in one. I just worked in one. Well, the best way. But then, I mean, because, you know, the 60s is kind of a fascinating period because it, in a weird way, you know, it doesn't really start in 1960. It's more like 63 that... That, you know, I think each decade takes a few years to get going. God knows what this decade will be like. But it was around 63 that you start to get this kind of change, don't you? Kind of a sea change. Well, of, well, of course. And and I, I basically, I don't know. I mean, one idea is to, I mean, you want to improve your style of playing. And also you want to earn, you know, you start to earn money. You know, back in, in the early 70s, there weren't many guys you know, mid you know mid twenties that was running around in an Aston Martin DB6, which I had. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I thought that was pretty good. But even then, one becomes blasé about those kind of vehicles. And uh, now, you know, material things don't don't mean as much um, as as they did when when you know when you couldn't afford them. Uh, and then when I finished up with one, goodness, it was it was quite amazing. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and and luckily things progressed from there. But I'll let you ask me more questions. Yes, absolutely. Well, so were you? I mean, at that period, were you kind of had that awareness that that sort of period from sixty three to sixty seven, where you know the the early sort of beat groups and pop rock kind of groups had started. And then sixty seven was that kind of real change in in sort of the counterculture and the sort of I suppose. Well, it was, yeah. The Summer of Love was 67 with the summer, you know, in San Francisco, you had the, in January, Golden Gate, you had the Gathering of the Tribes with, you know, Tim Leary, Timothy Leary and the Grateful Dead and all those guys. And then in, you know, July that year, you had the Ali Pali with the 14-hour Tutney Coloured Dream. And so there was this kind of huge change within a few years. And, and obviously you were right at that stage in life, were well, you? Well, that, that's right. I mean, there were, there, there were two types of music. There was commercial and there was there was basically heavy music, uh, but nicely played. I mean, commercial music, two and a half, three minute songs where you went into eight, ten minute songs with heavier bands. So it was more concept. One was album tracks and the other were were, were put on singles. And and, of, and all both lots of music were around. And, and I enjoyed both. And and still do. Yes, absolutely. So then, you know, because you had dear old John Peel with the Perfume Garden in 67, and that was kind of a period where you had, you know, lots of sort of, you know, he would have that amazing sort of slightly folksy, mythical poetry being read by, you know, Mark Bolin. Did you, were you, in, were you embracing the counterculture at that stage or did you think, what a load of all nonsense? Well, <laughs> It's it, it's difficult to say, really. I mean, when 
I actually I was working with uh, when 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 Jeff Christie and I when I when I said you know I've met another band and so on I'd, I'd met Carmen the American band and while I was working with the American band and it was the same manager of Jeff Christie that found me uh, you know that that found the producer that actually finished up working with Carmen which was Tony Visconti oh I can't say enough about the guy was he was another band member a genius a music reader perfect person to be you know to you know to, to work with and it was him that introduced said mark mark uh, was you know was was um, looking for a, a drummer to go into the studio because bill legend who'd met who'd worked with him many years was only getting 50 quid a week or thereabouts and which wasn't i suppose it was a lot of money uh, you know, maybe that was in the early 70s, which would have been decent cash today. But back then, it, it, you know, you were expected to earn a little. I was earning more than Bill, and uh, and and he said that um, you know, would I go and, and and meet Mark, which I did. Or Mark came to Tony Visconti's house, which uh, which was in in London. It didn't didn't live far away, and and I listened to. I first of all met Mark and thought he was a nice guy, and I didn't. So being introduced at that level makes such a lot of difference from from one being a fan. You know, I listened and I, I, I knew he was around and I knew he'd, he'd outsold. You know, the era when the back end of the when the Beatles packed in uh, and Mark Boland was releasing music, he actually sold more uh, more uh, more units than you know than the Beatles did. And I thought, God, that's great for him. And then once meeting him through Tony Visconti and then getting the wall look of you know, I actually got I've got a, a signed book, um, The Warlock of Love, which is, it, it, you know, Mark's signature into my friend Paul, da 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 da, and all of that stuff inside the first couple of pages, and you know, uh, before the, before the poem starts, and and when I listened to the uh, when I listened to some of the poetry, I I kind of realised that Mark was there was more in the guy than you know than met the eye. That it was it was much deeper, as much as the music was simple. And it's so hard, you know, to to be simple. It's anybody can be complicated, but to try to be simple to put your point across was so hard. And Mark had that. Um, you know, there, there, there was. You won't. Have you ever looked at the Warlock of Love? I tried to. Um... No, but I try, I try to look for no. it. No, oh, no. sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, because it's not available. I think it's actually really difficult to get hold of it now. So, um... well, it, it it might be mine's worth uh, probably you know eight eight hundred to a thousand pounds. My copy, and that's only a. It's uh, it's not. It's based. It is a hardback copy, but it's it's not that brilliant. You wouldn't think to look at it. It was worth that, but only because there weren't many. I mean, I got Mark's copy, which was lovely. Um, <laughs> Well, yes. Joe, there were there were some poems that I was going to quote you a poem. I'm going to have to think it's a while. The setting sun, the setting sun's like the withered yolk of a weathered egg. <laughs> That's one of his poems in that book. Yes, <laughs> but 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 there were there were many, and uh, 
then I haven't read it all. I have, I have, I have been through it, and I, I haven't. I, I'm not like a. I'm certainly not an anorak that goes into something, or you know, or a, you know, which could be a, a train spotter who sits on the bank watching for every. I mean, no disrespect to those guys. I mean, they're very intelligent people, you know. But it's something. It's almost like fishing, uh, train spotting, and all the rest of it. Even though, even though there's something maybe, maybe at the end of it, more in train spotting. Is something that never really interested me. I was I was more hands-on and, and wanted quicker results. But um, you know, but Mark, I can only say that uh, I've got I had the greatest respect for him. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, he did sort of create such a sound because obviously you you were one of those you know musicians, a bit like I suppose David Bowie, who was very much there in the sixties doing things. Um, and then, managed well, he didn't become a star till he, till the early seventies, did he? Well, no. I mean, his a, his kind of apprenticeship period during the sixties was quite interesting because what he did would have been completely forgotten if it wasn't for the fact that what happened next in the you know the the Ziggy Stardust period or Hunky Dory Ziggy, and then onwards. You know what I mean? That that music. But they were friends with Bowie and Bowie and Boland. Yes, they were. Then they it's became amazing. They, most people who had hit records were had to be friends back in those days, but. They they, they did be. I mean, they were friends. I know for sure they were. I've been in the company of, of the pair of them. Which is, uh, uh, yes. With that... Boland being more androgynous, <laughs> uh, you know, um, David Bowie was more, he, he, he kind of, he, he was very, very, he was a trend setter, not a trend follower. And, yes. And, and so was Mark. Um, well, absolutely. Both, I mean, they, 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 they were trend setters. And how did you... You know, because I did speak to a few people from, you know, the 60s, uh, Barry Miles for people like that, and, and Joe Boyd, who was part of that world that was the U UFO club. I mean, yeah. a lot of people who were kind of on the zeitgeist, by the 70s had got tired and, and you, you, you realise they dropped out. And I sort of, I did ask Barry, who, you know, who was such on the scene, you know, what, what happened to him in the 70s. And he said, actually, we were just really tired. We just, we needed to have a break. And, and that, that was kind of it. The next, the baton, so to speak, to use that, you know, as yeah. a, you know, kind of gets passed to the next generation. Because by the end of the 60s, you know, Jimi Hendrix had died, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, you had Altamont, Woodstock had been a bit of a disaster, though it was a great film and all that. So it's interesting that, that it kind of, the music, you know, every 16 to 18-year-old want their soundtrack, don't they? They don't really want what was popular five years ago or even three years ago in those days. So obviously... Well, absolutely, yeah. And, and you sort of, you obviously were able to straddle from the 60s into the 70s. So well, did, well, yeah, that, that wasn't a problem, uh, you know... I, I'm the first to admit that I was very lucky. You know, had Jeff not have taken me to London, the boy from, you know, from West Yorkshire in, into London and, chain, you know, he's saying, well, you got to go to this, you know, you got to go to the Kensington Market to buy clothes. And he can, he, he, you know, he encouraged me to to do certain things, where to get my hair cut and all the rest of it. He changed my personality a little and, and, and certainly the way that I looked. 
and you know through through Jeff, um, you know, uh, and and through his manager Brian Longley is not long with us anymore, uh, and he uh, he found he found uh, you know the, the the right kind of people for me to be involved with, and 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 eventually met Tony Visconti. You knew everybody. He knew Bowie and 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 Bolin, and, and he actually he was the number one uh, uh, producer for many years, and everybody wanted to use him and work with McCartney. He worked with everybody. I mean, absolutely everybody. And I met all the top people, which was very, you know, so I, that's why I say I was very lucky. Yes. And I've always been able to uh, to continue uh, with my playing and, you know, and, and everything, which uh, I've, I've had a, you know, I've had a, a bunch of lovely years out of it, although I have another, you know, I have other, another trade that I can employ when whenever I need it. Yeah, well, that's handy, really. Because it's interesting, because in a way, Tony Visconti was able to continue to keep in the trends. Whereas when you think about people like Phil Spector or Mickey Most, they had that moment where they were, and that guy who did Tailstar, huge. They specialised, yeah. They, they were huge, but they didn't sort of then come to the next you know scene did they 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 kind no, of no well, well i mean phil specter had he had i think he st- did he not start off with Hines way back in the beginning and 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 took on people uh you know i think I've, i may be wrong i thought it was phil specter it comes into mind but they had a certain sound you can tell the kind of artist you can tell by listening to the music that it was produced by phil specter but so you you're absolutely right about that where other other people i mean people like uh you know tony Visconti would 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 work with single you know superstars single singers up to rock and roll bands and be able to work with anybody he could move around and blend amongst anything it was you know he, he had and, and and luckily was able to because of the kind of person he was he was able to add his own influences into the music anybody working for Phil Spector would have to do it Phil Spector's way that that be period uh, you know but Tony kind of blended in with with lots of people yes Absolutely. So when did you, I mean, sort of get in, so this is like 72, 73 was when you get the sort of hot seat for Mark to be part of the band. Yeah, well, I was, I, I, I toured, uh, I did the, uh, I was working in the studio uh, with, uh, you know, for Mark and, um, you know, along with other sessions, it basically had session players in the studio um you know and uh, and uh, and i i met i met a bunch of people well tony said put you know you know these people have to come and do i forget the name <laughs> the names are on the back of the albums and uh, obviously i don't i don't just sit there reading them all all the time uh, but um danny thompson was a bass fiddle player who worked down at ronnie scott's quite a lot we used to work for the blues players used to ask for danny to come and play bass for them he he actually worked in, and played you know came into the studio with mark so danny myself and mark Boland used to work together uh, which was quite good and and i enjoyed that i just felt like i was in i was in good company and I was learning from other people. You know, you, you can only you can only learn if you're with kind of people better than yourself. And I've always I've always thought that I've always had guy. Well, even even the band that I'm involved with now, the you know, there's the, 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 there's there's some people that some very good players in, which keeps you on your toes. You know, it keeps you. I've got you can't go on stage and just do your own thing. I've, I'm conscious of you know what I'm playing. 
of the of, of the time signature and and so on. Um, you know, our keyboard player Dave Major is is quite amazing. You know, he's he's kind of a happy smiley smiley guy, and he's got a very high voice and and and, and which kind of simulates you know some of the bowling stuff that I do, and and yeah, and all of that, which is which is a lot of fun and and great. Uh, but no one was expecting to be put out of work almost a year ago. Yeah, yeah, no one saw that one coming when we celebrated the new... Well, nobody would ever thought, you know, would never thought that the venue was going to close down and this, that and the other was going to happen and so on. I mean, the world's changed and... You know, I was, you know, I'm I'm doing session work for somebody for for free, only because you know he's doing it for charity, and anybody mentions charity, I, I kind, you know, I kind of put myself, even though I did get collected and brought back home, which was great, you know, but I I help people. Uh, you know, for free, which you, yeah, it doesn't happen that often, and when it does, I, I get involved because I think it's great to be able to help others. Yes, when, whenever it's possible. Well, well, absolutely, it's a good, it's a good feeling. Because, because going back onto that period, I mean, Mark had done that big concert, hadn't he? The the one that got filmed and people like Ringo Starr was. Were you in the band at that stage? Or? I was. I think that might have been slightly. I wasn't. Uh, it must have been. Even though I met McCartney, but it must have been slightly before. Uh, before my involvement, only only a few months before my well, I didn't start working with Mark until the back end of '73 or the middle to the back end of '73, and I did and I was with Jeff till '72 and I was '72 uh, halfway through '72 when we finished touring around the world and and I was working with the American band Carmen and with Mark uh, when you know when uh, Carmen. Uh, Work working, I would work with Mark and and so on, vice versa. Yes, but uh, I, I, you know, and I loved it. I mean, it was a total, it was totally different because I don't know whether you've heard any Carmen music, uh, but it, it's it, there. What we only made three albums, but it, it's we were the first band in the world to combine rock and roll with flamenco music, and and sing harmonies, which. You know, I mean, Tony had a lot of involvement in that, and Mary Hopkin, his wife at that time, sang harmonies with us. It was, it was very choral and uh, complicated, and I got, I got into it, and then I was able to play ordinary rock and roll. So, all the different genres of with the marching band through jazz, through all the other things, uh, playing complicated music, which is something I didn't quite understand when I first met them, and and so on. I've, I've I've played the whole lot, you know, which was great fun. Uh, the question you asked me now, then you'd have to just remind me of that. You see what I mean about wandering off? I've wandered off. Yes, no, it's fine. We're all, we're, you know, it's it's fine. Didn't, Be- didn't, because didn't you asked me a question though. Before yeah, that. I did. I was. I, I just mentioned there was that big sort of. Uh, there was a, f- a concert. Just memory now. Don't, yeah, no, don't. don't. <laughs> I know this could be tricky now. Um, no, I mentioned about that uh, the concert that um, Mark did at the, Wembley. The concert that Mark did, yeah. And I'd, and I'd been, it, it, it was near enough the same time, but it was some weeks, some months before. Yeah. So then you got that's, that's all, all I can say about that. But it was it was good fun. It was it was always a giggle. And then uh, I, I mean, Mark went to um, 
you know, Mark, Mark was also lucky. He went to, he went to, uh, you know, to produce his uh, and work, work on his own show, South South of the River, the Mark show, yes. which was with Muriel Young, who I'd met in the sixties when Muriel Young in, uh, was uh, used to be used to work in Manchester uh, on a, in a TV show in Manchester when I first did television back in the sixties. And and her name cropped up again, so she really stuck at it, and and she was you know she was producing Mark and uh, became friends you know when when Mark round about that that time, um, when 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 the Mark show and, and and another another rock and roll show that appeared at the south of the south of the river. Yes, this is where Mark had sort of discovered punk rock, hadn't he? Actually, yeah. He well, was... yeah, round about that time it, it was. I think that's what he was. The fact that he, he had the Mark show, he was interviewing everyone. He he was still touring then, and and kind of used some of these younger guys. But that's when the music thing was changing. And basically, when I worked with Mark or knew him, he had one foot on the on, on the slippery side of the mountain, if you like. <laughs> yes, yeah, a tricky the tricky transition period. Because then, but what was it like? Because you did two albums with Mark, didn't you? Um, Light of Love and I think tracks on. I think there's tracks on about three. But I, I mean, you, you, you're the guy that spends all, you know spends time researching things. Yes, but so I, you I, could probably tell me. Yes, but I think I've been told there was three albums that uh, you know that my name's associated with. Yeah, and what was it like during that time? Because obviously. Because I haven't done oh. sort of a lot of, you know, in, interviews with bands, you know, they do have normally a sort of a bit of a five year narrative, you know, and you can guess, you know, the honeymoon yeah. period, the kind of the happy day, the first album, even happier. And then, you know, the sec tricky second. And mostly I've also found, you know, a lot of British bands, mostly these are from the 80s. If they ever tour America, they come back a little bit kind of shell shocked and like. They pack it in quite quickly. Well, well, of course. I mean, the America. I mean, I'll go back onto the, the to the first question. But America. I mean, I toured America, you know, length and breadth. Uh, I lived there for a year. Did nothing but tour it uh, with all kinds of bands and work with Toll, Jethro Toll, and loads and loads of uh, huge American bands, all the top bands, and. We, we 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 never did our own shows. We were always supporting others, which is what happens. But I'm, I'm talking about a lot of shows. Uh, uh, but but the, the one thing <laughs> I did learn, and, and that that was that was fine doing that. That was well organised. It is very very well organised. Um, the working with Mark, I didn't find in the studio with Mark was great fun. I mean, he was he would stand in the drum booth in with me and point at things, you know, uh, the the hi hats and tom. Sometimes that he, he 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 was conducting me. I just did what he wanted to do, uh, because he had a song in his mind, but I hadn't heard it yet. But it was in his head, so we got a tempo and so on. And, and he'd use all these drum tracks later on to write songs to, which was fine, you know. But I, I did learn I did learn one thing about Mark, is that uh, uh, Tony, you know, I was told that Tony Visconti used to have to wait for him to leave the room because Tony was there. He had you had to wait while he'd. Um, uh, and the second, the last time he wasn't there, because that's when Mark and Tony fell out. But when Tony and Mark were friends, Tony, <laughs> Tony waited for Mark to leave the room to go to the bathroom or whatever, and would tune his guitar whilst he was out. And then Mark would play, and there'd been some question about some notes being out of tune. I said, I told you the guitar was in tune, and. 
Tony didn't say anything, you know, and he was kind of a silent smile. And and the other thing was, uh, you'd, you'd you'd never you would never ask Mark for any money because he never carried any. You had to go see his manager if you needed cash for anything. Uh, there, were, there was probably three things. You never made comment about anything like that. Mark wanted to be the boss, and and he and he would not accept the criticism of any kind. Yes. Unbelievable. And that's the only guy I've ever met that was like that. But I still liked him. You know, we were, we were still friends and, uh, you know, but I think maybe because of the powder drugs that he was involved in made him like he was, uh, I guess. Yeah, well, it's a, it's, it's a slippery slope, I, I suppose. I mean, it's, you know, it's never going to, it's never going to end well. Well, uh, but, but don't forget, uh, um, you haven't, you haven't got to, uh, you know, you, you, to forget Dave is that, is that back in those days, that's when, that's when all, when people went, you know, the, the stars went into the studio with their, with their crates of rosé or whatever it, Matthews rosé, whatever it was. Plus they had their stash in their pocket. Bowie, everybody was the same. Those big guys all did the same thing. So whether the music was partly uh, because of their enthusiasm or skill or because of of of, of the adrenaline, who knows? You know, it's a combination of it all, and that was all part of it, without being too graphic. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I remember sort of when you'd hear that kind of faith, famous phrase that people use. They stopped using it a few years ago when they said, well, I got into music for the, you know, the sex, drugs and rock and roll. And obviously someone said, look, stop, stop saying that because, you know, that's probably not a good thing anymore, you know, for various reasons, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you, I mean, but yeah, I was going to say about it because you mentioned Mark and being touchy. I mean, I know that him and John Peel were so close and, but you know, mates, best of yeah. mates. And then... Yeah, that that friendship soured slightly, didn't it as well? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know too much. I can only talk about my own experiences, to be honest. If if, if, if opinions are, are are a totally different thing, and yeah, I can understand. You know why? Why I know I know that Tony. In fact, Mark had asked Tony if he would come into the studios and do something just out of the blue, without even you know. It's only polite to say next week I'll be doing something. Well, do you, do you think you'll be free? It was kind of the day before. You know, and you just expect Tony to be on the back of the door waiting for a phone call, even though he was working with everybody, which caused part of the. Uh, there may be other things that that certainly caused part of the uh, of the friendship not to be the same, and 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 the same with if Mark was expecting a load of plays on whatever he'd written, he lived on. Uh, he enjoyed reading. Mark enjoyed reading newspapers, looking at positions of songs in the charts and all the rest of it, and whoever was responsible for either one of those to do Mark would keep the, their eye on so I'm only guessing that him and John Peel could have fallen out because he either didn't play his song it would have to be it would have to do with his music wouldn't it how could it be anything else yes, you know, they I, weren't, I, I, I think they weren't living in flats above each other you know it, that, not, it, it can't have been noise it must have been to do with the music Yes, I think it was. I would have thought I think John, maybe you know well I, I kind of heard that you know John and again, you know, I suppose we were, you know, we were not guessing, but, you know, it was like John didn't play a record from, from Mark's new album and Mark was a bit upset. That was the kind but of... The, the thing is that they were all still, everything was still active. They had to be careful talking to the media or anybody who could pass on, you know, talking behind someone's back or whatever. They kept very quiet. You never talked too much. It was uncool to talk about 
you know, people that you knew, uh, especially stars, you never said a word. You had to be very careful about that. Yes. So to- you you obviously in the studio and you toured a bit with Mark as well, and you know. You've... Yeah, I did the I did the truck off tour of UK that started in London and finished up in Scotland somewhere, and so all all big venues, which was quite good. And I know that David Lutton, the drummer that was working there with Gloria Jones and his sister Pat Hall and another girl, I can't think of her name. Uh, they, they were great soul singers, uh, but Mark had those screaming girls, you know, those girls singing, uh, you know, soprano notes uh, to everything, which was great. And and uh, and there were two sax players. I mean, I counted about ten people on stage. Uh, but and and when I, when I was touring, but my drums when I when we did the truck of tour, my drums were the only ones that was coming out that could be heard out front, because there were even though there were enough mics on you know to go around, there weren't enough inputs on the and the, the sound engineer told me that, and uh, you know there wasn't enough uh, enough inputs for both drum kits, so Mike. And then Mike, uh, Mark insisted on mine being heard. So that I mean that, that was okay. I found out afterwards that that was happening, which was great. And I just I just did my job. It's like if somebody asks you to do something, or you know they don't say be my best mate or but whatever. Um, you know if you want to go, if I'm invited to the studio, or you play, or you you're doing, can, will you can you do a tour with me or whatever it would be. You just did it, and and you know you didn't think you were privileged or anything. And and I just I, I would I would have played my heart out like and with with energy and enthusiasm like I you know like like. I do everything, you know. I always do stuff with enthusiasm. Yes, absolutely. And, and working with Mark was no exception. I would imagine it was it was probably quite extraordinary. And also, you must have captured that that time where you know the crowds were absolutely besotted, you know, with Mark and the tour. Well, God, yeah. Well, there was screaming from uh, there was screaming. 10, 15 minutes before he came on stage because they knew it was a, there'd been, that it might have been someone on earlier. But they, they were screaming 15 minutes to, to him coming on stage to 10 minutes after he'd, after he'd left. They didn't even know he'd left and they were still screaming for him. <laughs> um, but let me tell you one thing. His fans started at between, between uh, 12 and, and 16 years of age. I mean, that was the folk, you know, that was the main, uh, the age group of, of his fans. They were all young, young, young early teenagers. Yes. So you can imagine that they would react that way, but there were thousands of them, you know. And um, you know, Mark, Mark used to keep his distance from from fans, even though they used to ha- they knew they found out where he lived. He loved, craved attention on his terms. Uh, at home, it was basically on his terms. Out at the venue, it was their terms. They, you know, if he if if he was happy for him to come and say, have a have an autograph or something, fine. That very rarely happened. But he did like fans hanging around about his house, which takes you into a whole other story about where some of his stuff went after he was killed. You know, um, coming back from Morton's in London. Yes, God, in the middle of the night, at half, half, was it half past three or something? I don't know. Something drastic like in that. In the little mini that that an American driver was driving on the English side of the road with a, I, I think the minis are front wheel drive and all the rest of it. So, 
and she hit the curb, and that was it. The rest is history. Mm, nasty. Yes. So when did um? So you were with Mark sort of about basically two to three years, weren't you? That was that kind of. Yeah, we. we I think it, it may have been just short of three years. You know, weeks or a month or or whatever. We were still friends, and he used to he used to ring me up, or I used to ring. Him, he rang me you know, more often than, than I rang him because he wanted something. He, he, he never rung just for the sake of it to say, "Hey, Paul, you know how you're doing? What's happening?" It was always to say, "There's something coming." I mean, he was polite. He, he did give me time because I was I was up in Yorkshire and he was living in London, and he did give me time to to get down and and do stuff, you know, which was fine. Which was usually via the train uh, mainly, and and he had stuff that you know more studio. I had everything in, I had drunk it and you know, stuff in so I didn't have to take much other than my stick bag. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, I carried around, which was great. Yeah, so you know, that 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 was all at that time. I mean the early seventies, God, I mean to have to have been toured toured around the world, you know, with with Jeff and then meet meet uh, Mark and do work with him, and then and then work with Carmen, and and work in America touring with Jethro Tull. Forty-four concerts we did with Jethro Tull. That's just one band uh, with Carmen and other stuff. And I, I I kind of had to take it all in my stride, otherwise my head would have been spinning. Well, I know. Well, I was talking to, um, as I mentioned earlier, that Robin Mayhew, who did the, the sound for Bowie during Ziggy Stardust for two years. I mean, the tour schedule was quite relentless, and it was not all just the UK. It was um, America, yeah. it was Japan, then back to the UK. And, you know, it was like... And a lot of the second part of that, you know, the year, they were playing two shows on each evening, but I suppose it was because demand was so big and the venues well, weren't Well, of course. At, at the same venue, you know, they'd do an afternoon concert and do an evening one. They couldn't do two in the evening. They'd have to do one in the afternoon and one in the evening. I would have thought that they would have had a break in between. Yes. Did, did they not? Yeah, I'm. I'm That's not sure. I mean, all I all I can remember because we're based in Norwich, and it was like when they came to the theatre hall, they played. You know, it just says two, two shows on that particular evening, and and I could see from the tour schedule they played a lot of two shows. So obviously they were just, you know, they were they just needed to pack, you know, pack it. Yeah. And their shows would be, you know, they'd be 120, 120 minutes, uh, you know. I mean, I, I, I go out now and, well, when it, when, it, when it becomes possible again, I do a 90-minute show. That they, they, they would be doing double that. Yeah, that would be under, hard. Under, under, 180, or, you know, they'd be doing uh, two hours, two and a half hour shows twice a night, which was a lot of work. Absolutely. So with, your, with the truck off... The truck off. Um, God, you can't say yeah, that. Yeah, you, you've got to say it slowly, Dave. You do have to say it very slowly and carefully, because yeah. it could all come out badly. So we, it? so we, so we both understand it. Truck <laughs> off. Yes, like me. Um, you carry so, on. No, you so, carry on. Yeah. So that was '74. Did you do the American part of that tour as well? As well as. I didn't. I never worked with Mark in America. I was over in America. That's 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 when that's when I went to to live in uh, in at Red Oak Drive. Uh, that, that you know that, uh, that which was quite well known because the 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 observatory overlooks Red Oak Drive. I went to live there with David Allen, 
and his family, uh, which was they they looked after me like their own, you know, their own son, which was brilliant. And and what I did when Mark, I told Mark that I was going over. Mark happened to be touring or starting to tour at the at the same time, but went into the studio. And what he was doing was taking Bill Legend off some of the earlier tracks that he'd recorded, taking all that stuff over with him and putting me onto, on, onto the tracks. And the only thing that I didn't really understand, well, well I did understand, but I thought, hang on, I, I don't know what he, he did tell me. He said, he said, before we start, he said, I've got to tell you, he said, when you start playing or when we start recording, uh, you know, when you when you when you're familiar with the track and we and you play over it, when we start recording, we're losing Bill. Everything you play, all you know, you've got to start at the beginning and go through to the end because there's no counting, no tempo, no nothing. Uh, the drums are what everybody's worked to, and you're replacing the drums. And when I was recording, I was replacing Bill, and that is the God's gospel truth, and that's what I had to do. Blimey, that was quite complicated. And and there was uh, there was uh, Gloria Gloria and Richard in the studio with Mark. I mean, I can remember it as if it was yesterday. Yes. And I, I I replaced you know so basically I didn't tour with him. I did work in the studio in, in Los Angeles with him. Right. Yes. I know. I remember seeing them crazy clips of Gloria. And I, was it her sister then with the tambourine, giving it an awful lot of excitement on the sure. vocals? I, it wasn't her sister. I think it might have. Uh, no, it was Sister Pat Hall. Right. Yes. I just. And remember. there was another girl that a friend of mine knows, but uh, I don't. Um, I, I couldn't I couldn't remember Sister Paul's basically it, it you know it it rings uh, when 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 you use it and I, I remember that but the other, the other lady with all due respect I couldn't remember her name yes but the sound was good I mean the sound great I mean the sound thirds is you know is uh, you know very very well and. And and that kind of music, like Mickey Finn's congas, and and the sound of sound of the congas with Mark Boland's, but all that fits in with with what Mark was doing because he he basically created it, and and that was the sound that Mark liked and, and worked with, and that's the sound that that I mean is still is still being celebrated and 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 talked about today, and and it's fifty you know coming on for fifty years or, or over. Well, absolutely. Uh, when it all started. Absolutely, over yes. fifty years. It's uh, incredible. You, so you've got you. It's got to be respected. I mean, it stood the test of time. Yes. Even though he had his ups and downs. He definitely. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it, showbiz is tricky. But then you worked with. Uh, you were still with Carmen, which was kind of interesting. You were. Yeah. Because Rod Stewart was kind yeah. of quite extraordinary because he was in the Faces, but he also had that solo career going on, which I thought was quite kind of a talk about multitasking. But you were also having to juggle various musical kind of acts and outfits. So. Why did, because um, Carmen went to sort of, the last album was 76 with Gypsies, wasn't it, after you, you yeah, did? Yeah, that was recorded in the States. Yeah. I'm just sneezing. I don't have anything wrong with me, but I, you know, uh, I do sneeze occasionally. I didn't mean to. No, that's uh, fine. Yeah, we... We went. We went to. Uh, we went to um, uh, to Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, I lived on the farm, Longview Farm. It was called. Everything is. There's an editorial of everything. 
Anyway, uh, for Gil Martle, who owned the studio, and we did the third album, and it was one that Tony Visconti wasn't involved with. We couldn't get hold of Tony, and he wouldn't, you know, he was doing other stuff. And we, it was produced by the band, mainly by David and uh, David Allen, and who was the flamenco guitar player, who was very, very talented. They, the, the, in my sister on Roberto Amaral went to UCLA, you know, the the university. The, they, they were the maybe the first musicians that I knew that were uh, that had, had, had gone through university and played and and that created this music, which I thought part of that had to do with, although. The 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 the, uh, the the their mum, David and Angela Allen, their parents had a had a club down in town, uh, a flamenco club. So they'd been brought up with it. The mother was a flamenco dancer, an actress, professional, and his father was David Allen's father was a guitar player, and so that's how they'd learnt. And and it was it was basically. Don't forget, I came from you know I came from Yorkshire, just a Yorkshire lad, and all of a sudden I'm meeting these people from Los Angeles and all the things that I've done and uh, and then and then found myself in Boston Massachusetts you know some years later which, uh, recording our third, third album which still holds up it's still quite heavy and, and well recorded and and my drumming can you know can be heard on that and um, you know I've a lot to be proud of and that was the third album Yes, absolutely. Which is have quite... you heard it, Dave? I'm, I'm asking you all kinds of questions. I know you are. No, you're put, no, you're putting me right on the spot here, aren't you? With your words. <laughs> <laughs> I've only heard little snippets of it, but I have to say, um, snippets. You can't get an idea with a snippet. Know, Sorry, I'm only kidding. It's hopeless, isn't it? Really? I'm, on, I'm only kidding, Dave. But yes, for you, yeah. So you were because that's quite a boggling band, actually, isn't it? We're not talking just. This is quite a conceptual, not a prog, but it it, it definitely pushes the the boundaries of music, doesn't it? Well, we we were awarded. I don't know what the I forget what the award was called, but some some guy out of some big band in America had heard it and and he said that you know these guys are one of the one of the the best and the most original uh, concept bands in the world. Yeah. And that, and I've got that, I've got that, I've got newspapers. In fact, Richie Blackmore, do you know his name? Yes. Well, Richie, Richie Blackmore was was wanting to go out with Angela Allen, who was who was our girl singer at that time. She's married and and all the rest of it, living in, LA, in back in LA now. And I, we do talk from time to time. But uh, Richie Blackmore, he said, any band that I that I would have loved to, somebody was asking him questions. Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? And Richie Blackmore said that he would have liked to have worked with Carmen. So that you know, I mean, that says it all, really, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. Being a guitar axe, a, a guy of, a guy of his stature, and you know, and 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 so on. And he was, I'm not sure whether. He he was based in a in in New York uh, at that time. He he had I know he had an office that did release a lot of his stuff from New York, so it could have been there. But you know, there's and I've, all that's editorialized as well. Yeah. If people want to search for it, it's out there. But I've I I can't I get told stuff, and um, you know I find it quite interesting. I thought, my goodness, you know, when I was younger, I'd have, maybe I've been jumping them down, thinking you you know asking the person to repeat it or could I read that again. <laughs> whatever it was but when you get a bit older not that I'm I'm totally blasé but I'm certainly different now than, than I was when I was a teenager or when I was a younger guy 
learning my craft. The craft, yes. So like, but you'd done, you packed a lot in and it was only, we're talking about 1976 here. Then what happens, you know, to your... Well, basically I went, 76... Gosh, I went. Uh, I, I always, I always had some band or other, you know, phoning me up and wanting me to do stuff. And I went to work. Uh, a, a friend of mine at a pub, um, uh, a couple of pubs. A guy called Graham Ellis, who was still rings, we were still mates. And he said, "Oh, Paul, get a band, you know, play a bit of jazz or whatever you like." And I went to work in pubs up in the north, uh, playing, you know, well, some of them. Some of them was every night of the week, one place and the other one, yeah. So I, I was very busy doing stuff, and and in the day working with my father, uh, back in you know back on the tools or you know, making furniture or whatever, and we had our own workshop, so I was able to do lots of stuff, and I always kept myself busy, you know. I tried to tried to stay busy. Yes. Um, it, it's very unhealthy not to do anything. Otherwise, uh, you know, in fact, well, right now I still do stuff, but I, I do enjoy not being busy, as it were. But I am ready to go only because of the climate, because of the, you know, the uh, COVID-19 and uh, you know, only, only because of that. Uh, otherwise, I would have been working like everybody else. But, uh, you know, and, and, and my age doesn't, you know, they think, God, are you still playing? And, and I love it, you know. I was recording the other day, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And it had been a year before I'd been sat down behind behind a kit. Yes. And I quite enjoyed it. I thought I'd, I didn't feel like I'd, I'd been away for some for some reason. Yeah. So I then, more, I mean, so was it the so was it the case then that you you know, music became just part of your life rather than consuming all of it after your tea, you know, Mark it, Boland? Well, it, it became part for sure. Uh, I couldn't, you know. I like I like to be called, uh, uh, you know, a, a rock drummer than one than 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 a carpenter or or, or joiner. I mean, that was one thing that not not to put it down because it, it earned me a lot. It earned me, you know, a, a bit of money in in my time, being a, being able to make things for other people and do studio work and in you know sound installation in cinemas. I've done all of that years and years of that. Worked away on you know uh, with with big companies. I've always done that and worked on the bench. I've done all of that, but I much prefer my musical life. In you know, as much as there's been many years of learning and practicing and so on, I, I didn't have to practice that much to be a joiner. Five years as, as a trade, and the rest of it was experience doing it. Uh, whereas a musician, you can always pick up a little bit more, or learn a bit more, or listen to listen to different music. So I'd rather I'd rather be associated with my music yeah absolutely because it was like the late 90s you formed the t-rex tribute band with mickey finn how did that sort of develop or how did that it's still it's still going we did that in 1998 you know myself and barry newby uh, both did that did that together and uh, and it's still running Yes. You know, apart from we've had to we had to stop a year ago because of everything else. I've got several gigs in Poland, all Scandinavia, Germany, and and it's all been pulled. And 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 some of the promoters I speak to in Germany uh, that are friends that fly over for my birthday, stuff like that. Um, they, they, you know, they say that they don't feel safe writing contracts or giving anybody anything till uh, 2022. 
you know, so I thought 21 was going to be ready, but obviously that was being optimistic. Uh, it's more more like 22. I think that we'll we'll see rock and roll bands and things changing slightly. Yes, I know. Yeah, I don't I don't know what you think, but that's what I think. It is a tricky one because I have to say I don't. Um, we were opt we're not optimistic, but we were just hoping that this year would be like okay, 2020 was a bit of a. Uh, a bit it's of a year, old, isn't it? and bit, now we're we're going to turn over the calendar. We'll get a new one, basically, and um, twenty twenty one, and then just go right. That's it. Let's get back and let's get rocking. And it's like, oh, perhaps not. Well, well, it, it, as soon as you put the people to start to listen to the news more than they used to do, and 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 then we say we've got a new strain, or there's two new strains, and and they were saying that uh, even even though you're getting you, you've got injections to come, and I'm waiting for a letter or a call or something, it only lasts six months. Where the flu injection lasts a year, that's been political, but that is a bit scary. I don't like any of that. No, and um, yes, we're going to have to all... Yes, I don't know. God, just hope, you know, I keep thinking, well, they did, they went through the war, you know, we can we can hopefully get through this without too many more, too much kind of destruction to society. We just, we just, want, we just want to see the pubs. I mean, some bands make livings out of working the pubs, and but yet you have the social distancing, uh, it, affects, it affects the music. Uh, Theatres is sitting in one seat, miss two, sitting in the seat, you know, all that spread out. So even, a, even a, you know, possibly a three thousand theatre uh you know capacity can only be cut down to a thousand or less so you've got to that affects the price for people going and it's not staring out at an audience like that isn't it like watching looking at a full house which i'm you know i've done out massive outdoor concerts and theatres in germany and we see full houses and and enjoy that that's never going to be the same you know, unless I say everything's working, and um, as I tell my dear lady, I said the only the only way we can tell is by saying the hospitals don't have any more cases in, and that's when we know when it's all ended, and, and not until yes, I <laughs> until, know. We, until we know that there's no more cases being admitted, and like t- yesterday or today was the worst it's ever been in this country. There you are. I know. It's good to be top of the league for something. I don't know. It's a picture. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it, it all, you know, it, it, everything that happens does affect our music. And, you know, like older guys like me, uh, I've, I've kind of got to keep doing bits and pieces or, or whatever. Uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't need a, t- a year or two years out at my age before I started gigging again. Because you know, there will become a time I just can't be bothered doing it. I just don't want to go out anymore. Mm-hmm. It isn't the plane. The plane's easy. It's getting there and getting back home. It's hard. I know. Well, actually, most people I speak to often mention that um, the eight hours of hanging about and driving or just kind of eating, you know, mediocre food is is, is hard. But then the the, the 90 minutes on stage is just magic. So, um, yeah, that's what you have to live for. And did it, I mean, I did sort of read this and I don't know, it might might be one of those things that you find annoying. But was it the case that you, you had a little letter from a few people saying about the name of, you know, the band that you have? Oh, yeah. I mean, all the fans, uh, you know, the, the Mark Boland fans, 
have been knocking me since I first a little letter. It's been going on for 20 years, uh, and 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 they still mention it or get blocked from certain sites. But the, you know, there are people thinking that I shouldn't be playing the music or I shouldn't be using uh, the word T. It's T Rex, the music of Mark and Mickey. You know, and and it, I legally with my friend and uh, you know uh, Mickey Finn, Jack Green, my name and and Barry Newby's name was certainly on the con on on a contract that has to be paid for every year, and so I own it legally or part of it legally. Yes, I, I haven't I haven't done anything, but yet people would you know, and there's loads and loads of Mark Mark Boland music tribute bands out there with you know T Rex to see and lots of other names uh, you know that. Um, uh, you know, the, the, lots of other people are, are, are copying Mark's music. I still do it, and 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 they can only ever play the single versions. But because I toured with Mark, I learned to play all the uh, you know all, all the the longer versions, the live versions. That's yes. the difference between my band and all the others. No, none of the others worked with Mark Boland or stayed at his house or used his clothes for TV, nothing like that. I did and they didn't. But I've never said anything. This is the first time I've ever opened my mouth about it, only because I'm answering your question. <laughs> so it was more than a letter, Dave, to be, to be fair. Yes, well, no. Yeah, I did, but it never bothered me. God, you know, how can you how can you upset a guy that's been around the world as many times as me and say something like that? We don't like this one because I look at the audiences in Germany and Scandinavia and all the rest of it, and they're always packed, or they were. So why would it make any difference to me? No, and I mean, it, actually, it's interesting because actually, T Rex, T actually, what's it? That that was one of the first tribute bands, wasn't it? T Rex, I mean, yes, it was. They yeah. were the they were the kind of first because I remember it being a bit of a novelty, thinking, God, that's a bit strange. You know, it's like a new thing. Well, right? it's, it's one of the things that Mark uses. He uses the word T Rex to see, doesn't he? So then, uh, but the guy, you know, the guy does, uh, he, you know, he does speak to me, he does ring me up, we do talk together. Yes, well, that's nice, actually. The guy that runs the band. I mean, we, you know, that's how most people should be. We should all talk. I mean, we're all we're all out there doing the same thing. We're doing, you know, I'm sure my band sounds, well, I, I work with Danny Ells. You know, I'm sure my band sounds different to his band, even though his band sounds great. You know, all the bands sound slightly different. We're all doing different types of gigs from, you know, some of the bands are doing the pubs and what I used to do. I do the I do the larger circuit, working with bigger people and, you know, probably earn a bit more dosh at the end of the day than they do. But what difference does that make? Everybody should say hi or talk and there shouldn't be any... Nobody's allowed to be blasé in the music business as far as I'm concerned. No. Well, actually, I suppose, because I've, you know, I go into the Theatre Royal a few times, I've seen the rumours of Fleetwood Mac and, you know, and it has, you know, Mick Fleetwood, you know, a little recorded message saying, you know, welcome yeah. to the show. I hope you enjoy it. Because basically it keeps the music alive. Let's face it, doesn't it? It keeps well, the I, legacy. I, I, I knew Mick Fleetwood. I worked with, you know, all those guys. I know I know most people. I know, I mean, when those, I was at the house, the, the last party they had before they went to America, before they went to live in Los Angeles. Oh, right. Was that when they yeah. were doing, was that Rick now? Christine. Yes, was that Bear uh, Trees they were doing the album? Pete, 
Sorry, go on. I remember that there was an album they did just before they went to America, something like Bear Trees or Bear something, I don't know. It was one of those ones that obviously didn't sell many because they thought, let's just go to America because we can't get right. arrested in and, the and UK. And that's when they met, they met, the, met the other two people, the, the, you know, the, the other two members of the band. The, uh, the Californians, that sort <laughs> yeah. of... But that, it, was, it, was only, it was only the white powder that got them you know, messing everything up. But they all stayed together, even though they swapped girlfriends and wives and stuff. I mean, that's never going to work, is it? But they did stay together. Yes, I know. I mean, the the best albums ever and the best-selling albums ever. You know, they all made millions of pounds. And spent them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, mean, the the relationship, I mean, Mark must mean so much to you. You know, the, the, the... that the effect he had, it must have been like meeting somebody like, you know, for some people it might have been David Bowie, but meeting a Mark, uh, Mark Boland, who was such an icon and had such an influence and has, has you know, his music is always going to be sort of remembered. It, it well, had, must have had a hell of an effect on your life. Well, it, well, it did. He, I mean, you know, Mark is iconic and he's never, ever, you know, I'm, I'm sure the day of his birthday in September is never the mu- all his, all his music's played. He's never ever going to be forgotten. It's always going to be there, like Bowie. Like I mean, Paul McCartney. Luckily, is still healthy and still working. Uh, well, was and and lots of other people. I mean, David Bowie's going to be missed a great deal. I I suppose Mark Bolan was. I was closer to Mark Bolan than I was to David Bowie, and and you know and and so on. But, uh, you know, all these people made, uh, you know, certainly made a difference to the music and influenced the music. They're never going to go. It's like, we st- do not still read books on history or look at old art or, or admire the stuff that was done, you know, 50, 100, 200, 500 years ago. We all still involve ourselves with that. Why should music be any different? No, absolutely no. I mean, and and you were sort of there at that sort of basically yeah, the first place. Yeah, I was a little wave. part of it. Yeah, you were. And and did you speck in the corner of the window? You were a speck, but you you held the beat. But did you did you talk yeah. to people like Woody Woodmansey and say, look, Woody? No, you... I don't, David. I don't know. I uh, I've obviously I've obviously come across him, but David was the David Bowie was the only guy. I think I've been blase if I just say David, but David Bowie was the only guy that I was associated with. And I, I don't I don't talk much to other drummers. I talk more to people like you, um, you know, that's doing obviously using his own time to put into a you know into your show and all the rest of it and um, and, and books and 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 just my knowledge people you know they're like asking questions and i do a lots of stuff like that yeah but i don't i don't spend my time on the phone or i, I must ring so-and-so or <laughs> whatever i don't i keep myself you know i'm i'm very pri- i live on a farm and it's very private where i live it's great yes. and nobody knows where it is you can make a much noise i do I, I can find it <laughs> Yes, that's good, and you can make a lot of and my noise. friends find it because I tell them, but nobody else. Knows no, I just wondered if during this sort of that seventies period that you were sort of no, crossing paths, you know, certain, you know, just meetings. Friends, I still have. Yes, from the seventies, true friends. I will still ring up and say hi, and I'll talk to them. But, but you know, big musicians, I don't, you know, no, I, I don't bother too much. No, absolutely. I, I, just, I think I'm pestering, you know, friends that I haven't spoken to for a while or whatever. You know, I mean, every band I've ever worked with, I've always stayed in touch with the musicians. I've never fallen out with anybody. 
That's now that's that's worth bragging. It I is suppose. worth bragging, actually. That's that's a very nice thing. Yeah. And talking of your band that you have at the moment, are you in that situation that you're all sort of just keeping each other together, as in like let's 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 keep positive. Let's kind of one day we're all going to do this again. Yeah, but they all get good wages. That's one one thing is that we're all mates. The second thing is that they get paid, you know, fairly well. Uh, for me, I'm not going to mention what it is, but they get paid fairly well. So, you know, the, there's two reasons. First of all, they want to see all the guys they work with, and secondly, they, they know they're going on with dosh, you know, with cash, <laughs> yes, with, with checks or whatever, you know. I know. Well, so, I, 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 nobody plays music. They play music because they like it, and and some you know, and other people play music because it uh, it's their living. They, they they have to live from the money. They have to eat from it, you know. Guys in my band do it for a living. Yeah. I just do it in, you know. I, I gig when 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 I when they when when the, the uh, T Rex, the music of Mark and Mickey, out working. I'm sat at home doing nothing. Yes. Apart from the odd recording or whatever. Yeah. Uh, some of the guys uh, never stop. They they do other things, or they did. I don't. It's probably all stopped this last twelve months. All knows. Mm. I've had nobody crying on my shoulder to tell me about it. I'm no. Depressed. Well, no, perhaps everyone's just kind of holding it together, actually. And then, and then, just lastly, I mean, you and you and Tony all day, the bass player. All right, yes, yes. You you both have quite a legacy, though, don't you, in the world that is kind of music. I mean, you're the you're the two cats who. Well, no, it's not Tony all day. No, no, Tony all day. He, he he's more of a he, he likes uh, he likes reggae music, uh, and lives on the Isle of Wight. It's also, um, and when Graham Oliver works with us, there's two guys in the band that have got history. It's it, was it Graham you were thinking of, Graham Graham Oliver? Um, no, well, I thought Tony was your bass player who was kind of. Oh, so yeah, he's the bass player, but no, no, sorry, I thought I thought you were referring to people who, who was in the history books. No, your current band oh. actually. I was just going to say you two in the band at the moment and Graham yeah. have got a quite a well a really impressive CV, haven't you? You know, you have got the um, yes, you know, quite, you you go back right through the decades, right through yeah, to people. Yeah, well, it's. Tony, yeah, Tony's been with us from right from the beginning. Yes, and he had been with um, people like Georgie Fame, Screaming Lord Such, Long John yes. Pawdry. I mean, that's yeah. that's quite the C, that's quite the CV, isn't it? Really. Well, it it is. Well, it is. We don't actually talk too much about that. And it and Tony's one that keeps most of the stuff to himself. Is is one that you've got to find out about. And uh, yeah, you know, and and so on. But I get on. I call him and and text him, uh, even though the Isle of Wight, the, the, you know, the signal is it, not a good a good place to ring. Uh, but I don't know how the hotels go on. But it's um, you know, I, I do I do text him probably twice a week or more every week. Yes. Still in touch with him. That's um, yeah, it's good. It's good communication. But, I, but I, I can't talk about what Tony's done. All I can do is talk about what he does when he's when he's with us. Yes, absolutely. Now, just last, virtually lastly, I mean, you know, and this is you know, just talking about David Bowie again. I mean, and you know, there's the book Moon Age Daydream, which I've got, which is a huge, you know, pictorial book, mostly with uh, the photographs of Mick Rocket. He mentions Carmen, doesn't he, in this? Yeah, 
I think I think he loved Carmen. He introduced Carmen to uh, in the, to the press in London in in the early seventies, and and we went to parties with it. We went to his house in London. The, you know, two of the guys in the band cooked for him, and we had quite an association with David Bowie. Uh, you know, and he was just, I just talked to him like I'm talking to you. I didn't, there was no airs or graces. It was just as it was. But he was, you know, he, he liked the band at Carmen because we were totally different. We weren't copying anybody and nobody was copying us. It was lovely. Yeah. Did you ever support David Bowie then with Carmen? Was it just... Only on, on television. Right. We did the Midnight Spec... Have you not seen... David, have you not seen Midnight Special? I've got so much homework to do, haven't I, here? Yeah, I've got to. <laughs> <laughs> Are you writing it down? I am. Oh, I'm going uh, to write this down, Midnight we Special. Were, we were on the, the floor show, the 1980s floor show, Midnight Special, uh, um, you know, with... I won't tell you any more about it. I think we're doing... I think we're doing two tracks with him. You'll have to check it out yourself. Yeah, I am. I'm going to have to do that, actually. I think that was around the time when he was working with people like Klaus Comey. That's the only time that we were filmed, actually, working with David. You know, there's uh, there's very little film of Carmen, and there's definitely film of younger guys doing that. And the clothes and the songs and everything was totally original. Beautiful. Exactly. It was art. It was art meets music. That's a concept, of course. Yes. Look, just last question then. If you could have said something to an 18-year-old, 16-year-old self. 16, yeah. 18, well, 16, 18. 18-year-old girl or boy. Pardon? Yes, one or the other. One or the other, yeah. Male we, or female. We, we can be fluid here. There's, the, there's girl drummers out there. There's, you know, guy drummers and girl drummers. I've got respect for them all. Yeah. Carry on. Ask me the question. I'll, I will ask you this question. I mean, if you could have said something to yourself back then, you know, just that little whisper in the ear just to say, look out for this or do this or, you know, keep doing that because that's good. I just wondered what you'd sort of picked up and learned over the decades, you know, that you kind of thought, yeah, that was that's what I've learned in life. Yeah, well, I, I did learn a, I learned a bit of philosophy, uh, you know, when I, when I was in America. And the only thing I can say to, to younger players is to, I mean, the thing is, it's difficult to encourage them un, until things start opening up again. But never think you're not going to be a musician. Never think that you're not going to be able to play. It depends how lucky you are. Practice whenever you can. Never, never let that get in your way. Definitely immerse yourself in, in into your music, absolutely. And you know, it, it, and and the thing is, if you do have an ear or you, or you do other have other people that you look up to or are musicians, think it. You know, like it's nice to think that one day you'll be as good as those guys or girls, or or you're going to be better. Never let that thought leave your mind. Yes, and that that is a good thing, isn't it? Have belief in yourself. Absolutely, for sure. For sure, for sure. Well, look, this has been amazing. Thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. This is, this has been a, an education, actually. I have to. I've got so much homework now. <laughs> I've had you writing stuff down. I know. No, it's it, it's gone for you know. We we've we've got you've got a good hour. You can pick what you like out of it. But there's a, there's a good hour there, and I'm I'm sure your fans will enjoy enjoy listening to something that's real and and honest. You know, it, I mean. Most of the stuff we read isn't isn't honest or or so on, but at least we've we've been we've been truthful with each other and and I've answered the best way that I could. Yes, well, I think we've been yeah we've we can sleep knowing that everything has been said in good faith and 
with honesty. Absolutely. Yes. Well, look, I really hope to come and see you one day. Hopefully you can kind of come and tour. Well, make yourself known and let me know what gig you're going to when you get on tour. Yeah, you'll, well, look, hopefully, you'll, 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 you know, God, hopefully you'll be on the road again soon. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll uh, but see. Uh, you, take, you, 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 you take good care of yourself, Dave, and it's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yes. And uh, you've almost got an hour. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> Look, it's time for bed. I'm going to get a hot water bottle. You're on a farm. It must be. Is are you uh, keeping warm? I'm overlooking fields. It's 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 it's. I'm overlooking. It's where they have the food festival um, in Skipton. That's oh, where I am. Nice. I'm not telling you which place I live in. No, don't or, do that. God, everybody yeah. else would know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 where they have the food festival where. You know where uh, where the airy bikers and and other people are going. Nice quality food. You got to have it. Absolutely, yeah. It's it all quick and and so on. But uh, uh, yeah, I just have to lift a five bar gate and in I go. Off you go. Excellent. Okay, look, take care and uh, keep on keep on rocking. Take care there, Paul. Thanks. All right, David. You Cheers. Too. Nice talking to you too. It's been wonderful. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview, as if you um, didn't gather that. I love leaving the last bits in because it's slightly, um, I don't know, fumbly. I love to fumble in life. Anyway, look, very hesitant sort of person I am. Anyway, thank you. Um, a huge big thanks to Paul Fenton for giving me the time for that interview, talking about his life in music. This has been the C86 Show and David Eastall. If you want to contact me for some nice reason, you can on Facebook uh, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show. If if you don't like me, don't bother in, getting in touch. Just just don't listen. Um, yes, and uh, yeah, all these interviews have been archived and you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. And um, bizarrely, there's a lot of drummers, including Woody Woodmansey as well from The Spiders from Mars. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>